and welcome to Infatuated, the podcast for people who really fancy a good story. I'm Emily. And I'm Rebecca. And this week, something amazing has happened. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Emily, we always enjoy the sound of the books that the other brings to the table, but rarely have we ever brought books which are so specifically catered to the other's taste. But this week, we've both done that. (laughs) Emily is bringing us the gruesome and girly Bunny by Mona Awad, which is so far up my alley. And I am looking at This Close to OK by Lisa Cross Smith, which is a spooky and autumnal Emily flavoured fever dream. So enjoy that. <laughs> So Emily, what are you infatuated with this week? I am infatuated with Bunny by Mona Awad. I'm so excited to talk about this. I'm so excited too because I have asked for this for my birthday. Oh nice, yeah you'll like it. Okay so this came out in 2019 and it's a really hard book to describe. (laughs) Um, I had to describe it for like a minute long video for TikTok and like it was a struggle but I think I went for The Secret History meets Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber but I would also throw in like a bit of Heather's and Jennifer's body (laughs) for good measure. Oh my god what a vibe. Yeah so it's like part dark academia, part fairy tale, part like hallucination and it is a horror it's really gory as well. So essentially, Bunny follows Samantha, who's a grad student studying creative writing. She doesn't really have any family, but she has a best friend called Ava. And Samantha's a writer who, at the start of the novel, is finding it really hard to write. Like, she's not very motivated. And then she's sucked into a friendship group with the four other girls in her creative writing workshop who are already, like, their own little clique. And she initially hates these girls, like they're sickly sweet, they're really like cloying and excitable and everything she hates about like female friendship. Mm-hmm. And they all call each other Bunny, which is oh. wonderful. And as she sucked into their group, she like slips away from Ava and that's pretty much like the, the kind of main crux of the book. Mm-hmm. But also the bunnies are into some really weird shit. <laughs> Um, like I guarantee you will not be able to guess what it is that they do but it's not good (laughs) okay I'm so excited now (laughs) (laughs) so there are so many details in this book that I'm obsessed with and when I was looking back through it to write notes for this episode like I noticed just how brilliant the foreshadowing is because it's one of those books that does hint at what's going to happen but it's so wrapped up in weirdness that you have no idea like you have just have no clue and I love that so at first I thought I would talk about the writing style award is so descriptive I almost want to say like overly descriptive but I do actually mean that as a compliment like I think a word I'd use to describe it is saturated Mm. it's like she's like gone into like a photo editing app and turned the saturation all the way up so everything's really bright and in your face but also like slightly warped out of shape because of it and yeah it just makes everything feel too 
much. So I just wanted to read the first couple pages actually to give you an idea of the tone. Here Samantha is describing the bunnies from across the room and I, th I think that's all I'll say at this point and I'll talk about it after. I'm so excited, like oversaturated is my entire taste. Gimme it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because you, you got recommended this by, like, another friend as well, right? Yeah, and, like... yeah my friend Scott um, recommended this to me. <laughs> he was like, Rebecca, this book is too much, as are you. You, you should read it. <laughs> we call them bunnies because that is what they call each other. Seriously. Bunny. Example. Hi, bunny. Hi, bunny. What did you do last night, bunny? I hung out with you, bunny. Remember, bunny. That's right, Bunny. You hung out with me and it was the best time I ever had. Bunny, I love you. I love you, Bunny. And then they hug each other so hard I think their chests are going to implode. I would even secretly hope for it from where I sat, stood, leaned, in the opposite corner of the lecture hall, department, lounge, auditorium, bearing witness to four grown women, my academic peers, cooingly strangle each other. Or goodbye. Or just because you're so amazing, Bunny. How fiercely they gripped each other's pink and white bodies, forming a hot little circle of such rib-crushing love and understanding it took my breath away. And then the nuzzling of ski-jump noses, peach fuzzy cheeks. Temples pressed against temples in a way that made me think of the labial rubbing of the bonobo or the telepathy of beautiful murderous children in horror films. All eight of their eyes shut tight as if this collective asphyxiation were a kind of religious bliss. All four of their glossy mouths making squealing sounds of monstrous love that hurt my face. I love you, Bunny. I quietly prayed for the hug implosion all year last year, that their ardent squeezing might cause the flesh to ooze from their sleeves, neck holes, the A-line hems of their cupcake dresses like so much insane frosting, that they would get tangled in each other's Game of Thrones hair, choked by the ornate braids that they were forever braiding into each other's heart-shaped little heads, that they would choke on each other's blandly grassy perfume. Never happened. Not once. Oh my fucking god, I love it! <laughs> it's so good! <laughs> uh, so, as you can see, it's a weird book. The bunnies are strange. Like, mm. I think they're meant to be very beautiful young women, but the way that the character Samantha describes them and like their touchy feeliness makes them so like grotesque yeah. and irritating. Also, anytime I read out a line that said like "Hi, bunny" or "Love you, bunny," those were in italics and not attributed to any one person. Mm. And this continues throughout the book. So often, when all of the bunnies are together, you have no idea who's saying what line. It just creates this really like hallucinogenic feeling where they're all one being and they all speak the same and they all have the same name and it's just really trippy. It's very hive mind. I love that. Yeah, but like even before those scenes, Samantha doesn't call them by their real names anyway. She's made up her own names for them, which are the Duchess, Cupcake, Vignette and Creepy Doll, because that's how she sees them. So you already have this like depersonalization of those characters. What what was that film that we went to see, the really weird one about the Queen and it was all trippy? Oh, the favourite. Yes. This mm. is giving me favourite vibes already. True. And there is bunnies in that. Yeah, there is. Interesting. Mm. So I thought I would read out two passages from this book. 
where Samantha describes her two very different friends. So I've got one for Ava and I've got one for the bunnies as well. So I'm going to read Ava's first. I look at her through my bangs, but she's encouraged me to grow over my eyes. Makes you look punk, she says. I look at her different coloured eyes, her bleached and feathery hair that is the antithesis of bunny hair, cut asymmetrically and shaved in places, her fishnet veil that she wears like a threshold to be crossed only if you dare. And here's what I realise. She would never wear mittens shaped like kittens or a dress with a Peter Pan collar. She would never say, love your dress, if she fucking hated your dress. She would never say, how are you, if she didn't care how you were. She would never eat a lavender cupcake that tasted like perfume or wear a perfume that made her smell like a cupcake. She would never wear lip balm for cosmetic purposes. She would never wear it unless her lips were seriously, seriously cracked. And even if they were, she'd still put Lady Danger on them, which is the name of her lipstick, this bright blue-red that looks really beautiful on her, but when I tried it on once made me look insane. Her perfume smells like rain and smoke and her eye makeup scares small children and she wears pumps even though she's at least two inches taller than I am and I'm a freak. Why? Because life is shorter than we are, she says, so why beat around the bush? Sweet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just think my favourite detail of that is the Lady Danger lipstick. So like, for anyone who doesn't know, that's like a pretty infamous MAC lipstick. And, like, right. I love that all she has to do is, like, give the name, not even the brand, and it's, like, recognisable. And I'm going to just jump straight into the other quote, and then I'll talk about them both after. So, Samantha goes on to describe each bunny in detail, but I thought I'd just pick one out to show you today, because they're all quite lengthy. But this is her description of Cupcake, after Samantha has been invited over to her house for one of their secretive workshops for the first time. I am staring into the eyes of the one I call Cupcake, because she looks like a cupcake, dresses like a cupcake, gives off a scent of baked lemony sugar, pretty in a way that reminds you of frosting flourishes, not the forest green and electric blue horrors in the supermarket, but the pastel kinds that is used at weddings or tasteful Easter gatherings. She looks so much like a cupcake that when I first met her at orientation, I had a very real desire to eat her, bite deeply into her white shoulder, dig a fork in her cheek. Tonight, she wears a dress of cerulean blue patterned with sinuous white clouds and one of her many matchy cardigans. Blonde hair freshly flat ironed. Lips shiny but colourless because lipstick is for whores, bunny, I have heard her say, and I really couldn't tell if she was joking or dead serious. Glinty pearls around her neck that she never takes off. She'll often gently tug on them in workshop while reading aloud from her work, the most recent iteration of which was post-feminist dialogues between herself and various kitchen implements. I think she's going to greet me like she usually does, like I'm an unfortunate patch of grey sky from which she should soon take cover, or a tall, mildly disease-ridden tree. It is so sad and creepy about my bare and unseemly branches. Normally, if she and I catch sight of one another in the halls or around campus, she'll draw her Christopher Robin cardigan closer, clutch her books tightly to her chest as though, tut-tut, looks like rain. Oh, hi, Samantha, she'll say, looking around at anything that might be a boy that will save her from the fact of me standing right in front of her. A telephone pole in the distance, and that's only she can see. Frankly, I don't know what I did to get on the wrong side of Cupcake. Perhaps she sensed my hunger when we first met and has understandably kept her distance. But tonight, Cupcake smiles at me. Her pink and white face lights up. 
Samantha, hi, as if she's actually delighted to see me. I'm a jewel-coloured cardigan. I'm a first edition of the bell jar. I'm a marzipan squirrel. I'm a hairdresser who knows exactly, exactly how to handle her carefully untucked bob of golden hair. Woofed! <laughs> so I think from both of those quotes, you, I think you can see what I mean about like saturated description. There's just so much of it and it's not even necessarily what they look like. It's about what Samantha infers about that person from their appearance, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, it's about the lipstick name, it's about pulling the cardigan around her shoulders, it's about, like, how that person looks at Samantha. And I also really appreciate, and I think you can see hints of it from the passages I've read, is how the author uses pop culture references, but to me they don't feel forced at any point. It's also a really girly book, but I don't mean that only girls would enjoy it. What I mean is that it like provides a very clear lens as to what it means to be a girl. <laughs> or I should say like women, rather, as they're closer in age to us. Who's like surrounded by pop culture and, you know, makeup and clothes. Mm. And I also don't believe that Awad is diminishing female friendships. Like if you look at the bunnies, that seems like someone who hates groups of female friends. But actually you have Ava to contrast that, who is more of a like supportive and grounded friend to samantha mm-hmm. so i'm actually going to leave it there at quotes for today but i do want to mention a couple more things that i loved without going into too much detail and like giving the book away so i think i've shown how like funny and weird it is but i also find this book really moving samantha's a really lonely character so that's like the overarching theme of this novel is is loneliness and like I said before, she has no family and she, she only has Ava as her friend. But she's always loved books and writing as a means of escapism. And I can't go into that too much, but that point is very important. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, creation and loneliness are like the two defining features of the story. That's quite beautiful. Yeah, which is why I think there's loads of fairy tale references which I really loved. Like there's so many. Um that's why I compared it to the Bloody Chamber at mm. the top of the episode cuz Samantha's like strangely part of a fairy tale. But again, <laughs> that's all I can say about that. My kind of one last point is that it's also just a really funny satire on studying creative writing. <laughs> I've not like I've not really sp- spoken about that part of the novel today because I feel like the scenes where they're in the workshops and stuff that work the best are like quite late in the novel so there's there's too much like context that would give stuff away but there are a lot of workshop scenes where they're all talking about their writing and it's so pretentious but it's so funny (laughs) because obviously satire has its roots in truth Mm -hmm. and as a former creative writing student, I promise you some of those scenes have truthful moments in them and that's what makes them great. And I think Awad actually did do an MFA in creative writing. So I think some of those scenes she may have been writing from experience, but it's, it's hilarious. Oh, I'm so excited to read that. I, <laughs> I could probably, I think we could write books and books on yeah. the hilarity of creative writing workshops. Yeah, 
but anyway yeah that that's kind of me today i love that this book is so weird i understand that a lot of people probably won't enjoy that but i just always love a reading experience that isn't straightforward Mm. and i love that in multiple parts of the book you have no idea who's speaking because they're just bunny (laughs) i like stories that really stick with me and i read this a few weeks ago and i have not stopped thinking about it like i wish i could talk about the ending because i have so many thoughts so I'm glad that you'll be reading it so that yeah. I have someone to to talk to this about. And yeah, it's such a fever dream of a novel. Really recommend reading it and finding out what happens to Samantha for yourself. That's me. <laughs> oh man, I'm so excited. And it is, it's interesting what you were saying about like, it sounds like a hatred of female friendships, but it's not. Yeah. Because I was having a conversation the other day about that idea of like the cloying gaggle of girls and how I'm like such a big advocate of female friendship and I'm so overly affectionate to my friends, but Mm. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that so much. Like that gaggle, that like, Mm -hmm. it is creepy. So I'm glad that like there is a novel that's exploring that tension. I'm excited to read it. Yeah, definitely. I do like, yeah, I think you'll like this one. It has... Like, the horror stuff's more probably up my alley, but, like, I feel like the actual just what the book is about, like, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yay! Excited. Um, Yeah, fun. Okay, so what are you infatuated with this week? This week I am infatuated with This Close to OK by Lisa Crossmith. I've talked about Crossmith on here before. I did an episode on her debut novel, Whiskey and Ribbons. So this is her third novel, It's Close to OK, and it came out earlier this year. And even though I don't think it quite trumped Whiskey and Ribbons for me, I still absolutely loved it. Before I do get into talking about it, though, for our listeners, I do want to give a wee trigger warning for suicide, grief and mental health issues. My like chat today is spoiler free, but the actual premise of the book from the blurb is that it documents the weekend that two strangers share after one talks the other down off the edge of a bridge. Cool. So it's very sensitively handled, but if you would like to skip that today, then go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so with that in mind, let's get into the book. So the novel follows Tally and Emmett. And similar to Crossmith's technique in Whiskey and Ribbons, it uses alternating first-person narration, so they have a chapter each throughout the book. Tally is a therapist. She is recently divorced. Her husband left her for another woman. And, yeah, she is coping, but she still logs into his Facebook page with his old password sometimes. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's where we meet Tally. (laughs) Emmett is a man with a lot of secrets. Um, So I can't really tell you a lot about Emmett, but (laughs) we meet Emmett when Tally gets out of her car on a rainy Thursday night in October to stop him from jumping off a bridge. So I'm going to read just the first little bit to give you an idea of the beginning because it wastes no time in getting into the story. Tally saw him drop his backpack and climb over the metal railing, the bridge. The grey Ohio River below them, a swift rippling ribbon. She was driving slowly because of the rain, the crepuscular light. She didn't give herself time to think, pulled over, lowered the passenger side window and said hey. 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 The haze increased in frequency, volume. To her left, the blur of traffic. 
She punched her hazards, climbed over the armrest and out of her car, leaving the passenger door peeled open. Hey, I see you. You don't know me, but I care about you. Don't jump, she said, loud enough for him to hear, but she didn't want to startle him either. The cars and trucks were loud, the rain was loud, the sky was loud, the bridge was loud, all those sounds echoing off it, rattling down and back up. The world was so loud. He turned his face slightly, wet with rain. Hi, I'm Tally, she said. I don't want you to do this. Is there somewhere I can take you instead? And I could take your backpack. What's your name? She was reluctant to touch the backpack. It was dark green and dirty. She reached for it. Don't touch it, he said softly. Far too softly for someone who was about to jump to his death. Why bother speaking softly when death is slipping its hand in your pocket? Tally put her hands out in front of her, surrendering. She wouldn't touch the backpack. Fine. A blessing. I'm sorry. Is there somewhere I could take you and maybe we could talk? Or I could call someone for you? Come with me. We can figure it out, she said, her voice climbing a rickety set of stairs. She'd almost forgotten she was a licensed therapist until she said those words. We can figure it out. And how often did licensed therapists get to do surprise on-the-street sessions? A lot, actually, but this one was on the bridge. She'd never lost a client to suicide and she wasn't going to start now. He wasn't her client, but he could have been. She began speaking to him as if it were true. That's the beginning, and obviously it starts out very high stakes. Yeah. But the nice thing that I find about this novel is that it starts out very much in the drama, but like a lot of Crossmith's work, it unfolds in a very like quiet and slow setting. Mm-hmm. There isn't actually that much drama in it. So, not really a spoiler, because it happens in the first chapter, but she does manage to talk him down off the bridge. Yeah. And the two head back to her house. And the novel takes place over the next four days, Thursday night to Sunday night. And it makes the most of every single minute. Like, it's it's over 300 pages, mm-hmm. but it's four days. And I actually love that kind of structure. I was thinking the other day, actually, about how 80s movies like The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off all take place like in the space of a day yeah and how like modern media there's like a trend of it being over like months or like decades and so that like condensed concentrated format feels really nostalgic and like really cozy yeah i hadn't really thought about that but yeah yeah you're right yeah like i don't know a lot of things the only thing that i can think of recently that takes place like in a day is you recommended book smart to me oh yeah yeah but that felt like an 80s movie yeah, which I do think was intentional, yeah. but yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. So yeah, I don't think that's an accident on Crossmith's part either to like conjure up that feeling because she's so referential. Similar to what you're saying about Bunny, she is very aware of like the media climate that she wants to sit in. She's mm-hmm. got so many pop culture references. Like reading this book is like watching an episode of Gilmore Girls. there's just references every five seconds but that's what i am kind of infatuated with about it is that this book feels really cozy so there are a few things i wanted to like break down i was like what how does it how does it feel cozy so i thought i would do a little breakdown of why i think it feels cozy okay so there are three three factors One is the setting, one is the pop culture references, and one is the writing style. And I will explain what I mean. 
because I'm in cool. full English student essay mode now. <laughs> so, first off, despite the fact that it was released in the spring this year, it is set in autumn at Halloween. You would love this. Oh. Like... Yes, that already makes me want to read it. <laughs> yeah. Like, when I read this, I was like, I don't know if I'd really want Emily to read... Like, I don't know if I'd push for you to read many of her other works, but I will push for you to read this one. Because okay. I love it. <laughs> like, everything is, like, spiced lattes and knitwear and candles and costumes mm. and spooky and... Oh, yeah, it feels, like, is... very high and very horror. Yeah, it's my aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Tally's house is the home of this, like, newly single woman in her 40s who's learning to embrace living in, in like, a girl house again Mm. because there's no man there anymore. So it feels extra cosy because she's made it feel extra cosy. So here are three very short paragraphs from Tally's narration that I thought gave you an idea of how warm and October-y this is. This is when she first takes Emmett back to her house. The steps leading to Tally's white brick front porch were fringed with pumpkins, some orange, a few blued like skim milk. A fluffy wreath of orange-red-yellow-brown leaves hung on the wide yellow front door. On one wicker porch chair there was a polka-dotted canvas pillow with the word HOCUS printed on it. On the other, POCUS. The welcome mat read HELLO in loopy black cursive on the stiff hay-coloured brush. Yep. Cozy. <laughs> I can literally picture that exact welcome mat. Like Me too. I'm pretty sure I have seen that before. <laughs> yeah, it feels so familiar. It's so lovely. Yeah. So this is later in the novel where they go to the shops. She'd worn comforting clothes to the outlet mall that made her feel pretty, like a 40-year-old Hermione Granger on a day trip to Hogsmeade for butterbeer. A toasty, oversized cardigan she'd finished knitting during the heat of summer. The colour, a deep goldenrod. She wore it over a long-sleeve grey bodysuit, dark skinny jeans. She'd chosen her trusty brown waterproof boots over the toffee-coloured Oxford she'd wanted to wear, proud of how she'd gone with the more reasonable, practical choice for once in the past 24 hours. She didn't want to make it look like she was trying too hard, but it was a special occasion, Emmett was alive, and so was she. She'd put on hoop earrings, concealer and powder, eyeliner and blush, and lipstick, always lipstick. She never left the house without at least some nude colour and gloss. After Tally got the candles, they wandered in and out of other stores, only touching things, mocking, occasionally agreeing when anything cool and interesting was discovered. So yeah, I just like that because I love the description of your perfect autumnal outfit. <laughs> yeah. Especially the, the Hermione Granger going to Hogsmeade. I was like, what a... That feels like it's cheating to say that description. <laughs> but like, it's perfect. Yeah. Also just the fact that like, she's written in that they're just going to the shop to like, look about. Like, I don't know, there's something very like, calming about that and I feel like normally if you've got a shopping scene in a book it's there because they're shopping right like yeah. I don't know I like that they're just sort of meandering <laughs> yeah it's really like it's really chill it feels really calm. yeah and then I've got one more just to like show the the coziness mm. the orange street lamp drenched Tally's large living room window with rainy honeyed light 
the gloaming spilled over her houseplants and bookshelves poured across the floor. She loved that window, the holiness. She sat there in it, watching Emmett sleep. He breathed slow and deep with the ball of his foot pressing the armrest as if he were kicking to a swim and would splosh the couch to water. She told him it was good for him to get extra rest. Tally spoke with her clients often about their sleep schedules and how important they were to both their mental and physical health. Like a fever dream, Emmett was on her couch with his backpack tucked next to him and Joel was in Montana with his hair up in a ponytail holding his new baby. Mm. <laughs> Joel is her ex-husband, I feel like you get that. Yeah, I gathered. <laughs> yeah. But I just love that description of like the light coming in with the rain mm. and it's all... and like. They're indoors. And then just a couple from Emmett's point of view. Emmett does this thing where he lists observation in present tense, which I think is like a really beautiful way of showing trauma in writing rather than telling it. Mm -hmm. So you'll see what I mean when I read it out. But these take place during a power cut, which is a thing that Crossmith loves to write about. She loves a power (laughs) cut. But these are really, really short. So this is Emmett's real-time observations. The jumping candlelight cuts through the rising tea mug steam. The steam looks like cartoon smoke. Six tea lights and a half moon on the table. The walls of Tally's living room are the colour of creamed coffee. And the room smells faintly like pumpkins and sugar. The couch is soft, so soft, almost painfully soft like moss. Tally's hand is warm and she is breathing slowly. The trees tattoo the roof with rainwater. Oh, so pretty, that one. I know, I knew you'd like that one. That's why I had to get it. (laughs) But yeah, there's so much sight and smell and not Mm. a lot of sound in the descriptions of this book. Oh, yeah. And I think, like, when I was pulling them all out to figure out which ones felt cosy I think that's what it is it's it's that vibe of being cosy in this quiet and safe house while while a storm rages outside because there it is raining outside the whole time so it's really inviting I'm trying not to give spoilers and it's really hard (laughs) (laughs) but um another thing which I think adds to that coziness is the references that I was talking about because mm-hmm. I think she makes you feel so at home with the characters by filling that book up with real life media. There's a lot of book references and film references, but mostly there's loads of visual art references, mm-hmm. like paintings. Mm-hmm. So yeah. many visual art references. So it feels like you kind of know their world and have things in common with them. And this scene I have to read out to you just a big chunk of scene because it is like she took all of your favorite things (laughs) (laughs) and put them on a page okay i'm excited (laughs) so emma and tally are going to it's the saturday and they're going to the halloween party thrown by tally's older brother okay he's very rich and he has a big fancy like great gatsby type house Mm. everyone's in costumes uh everything is spooky and these <laughs> our pair are going as Mulder and Scully from the X-Files oh I love that <laughs> I know <laughs> because it's easy to do and Emmett didn't have a costume yeah oh you're gonna love this <laughs> Lionel's place was encircled by the forest on his property and Tally knew the secret spot where she could park her car 
she and Emmett would be able to walk over the bridge leading to the enormous patio with two huge fire pits flanking it and a heated infinity pool in the middle that seemed to spill out into the grass like an illusion. In season, the bridge was surrounded by a copse of facened apple and pear trees and a bright patch of wildflowers that attracted myriad hummingbirds and bees. It was a genuine certified wildlife nature preserve and sanctuary. They had a gardener, but Tally loved getting her hands dirty with Zora and River. In the spring, they planted rows and rows of sunflowers, although oftentimes the deer would get to them before long, the big sunny blossoms appearing in the afternoon, disappearing overnight. She turned down a gravel road with a mohawk of leaves in the middle. The ride was bumpy and louder than the smooth street, popping rocks, wetness sucking at the tyres. She stopped the car once until they got to the edge of the bridge. There was a wide bowl clearing under the sky. The landscaping lights leading to the bridge shone like little spaceships across the leafy black. Tally smoothed her skirt after getting out of the car. She went in the back seat for the cake, which Emma insisted on carrying. He also insisted on putting her car keys in his pocket, so she did him one better and gave him her lip gloss too, so she could leave her purse in the trunk. He slipped it into the inside pocket of his suit jacket and Tally wished she had that on a short video loop the same way she'd wanted one of him shaking the cigarette from the soft pack. Lai usually has a big screen set up with a movie playing on it. Last year it was Psycho, Tally said, after punching in the gate code. Her heels crunched up the wooden steps of the bridge. Emmett was right behind her and she reached for his hand. The quiet that ribboned through the darkness was slowly eclipsed as they got closer. Floody creek water gurgled over the rocks below. Peppy chatter and music from the house rose like a heat shimmer, getting louder as they crossed the bridge out there alone. Emmett was fetching in that suit. Tally imagined the two of them stopping, Emmett taking her in his arms, kissing her, her mouth, gently putting her earlobe between his teeth. She held the vision of him wet on that metal bridge over the river against the man in that suit next to her on the wooden bridge. Two completely different bridges, two completely different men, two jagged, mysterious halves of a whole. The zapping was back, her heart, her body, her blood, like a mad scientist's creation humming with life and green lightning. Ta-da, she said, motioning her free hand toward Lionel's house. Grey stone, glass and more grey stone and more glass sprawled out and up and over in front of them. A small rolling knot of costumed people hung on the hill to their left next to a brick fire pit. A pumpkin carving station was set up not far from that and another bigger crowd spilled into the yard down the rocky pathway leading to more gardens. No one seemed to mind the mud. Orange and purple lanterns floated atop the infinity pool. One woman wearing not much more than glitter stood near the edge of it with a gigantic angel wing sprouting from her shoulder blades, casting two wing shadows on the glowy water. A movie Tally loved was playing on the large projection screen. She pointed and turned to Emmett. Donnie Darko. (laughs) (laughs) Aha! And wow, damn, he said, fully taking in the scene before looking at her. It's extra. I feel underdressed. No, you're perfect. They walked across the patio, Tally saying hello and waving to the people she recognised. She spotted Zora, dressed in full Athena goddess of wisdom regalia, standing by one of the tall glass doors, drinking champagne from a flute. Zora, looking every bit the former Miss Kentucky she was, wore two armfuls of chattering gold bangle bracelets and a thin gold headband of leaves. Her black curls hung loose and wild around her face, over her bare brown shoulders. 
When she saw Tally, she smiled and put both hands in the air. Lula! Zora squealed. Zora! Tally squealed back, going back to her and hugging her. Aren't you cold? We must suffer for beauty, girlfriend. And who, oh, who is this? Emmett? Zora asked, looking at him. I see you've talked to my mother. Yes, Zora, this is my friend Emmett. Emmett, this is my beautiful and lovely sister-in-law, Zora. Nice to meet you, Emmett said, putting his hand out once. Tally and Zora finished hugging. Girl, now you know Judith texted me everything. A pleasure to meet you, Emmett. Any friend of Tallulah's is more than welcome here, Zora said, ignoring his hand and hugging him instead. Zora was putting her flirty, sweet voice on top of her slightly slurred and starry champagne voice. Where's Lai? He wouldn't tell me his costume. I brought his favourite cake, Tally said, scanning the crowd behind her and what little she could see inside. Oh, you'll see him in there, and you're... She squinted at Tally's FBI badge. Emmett's too. Mulder and Scully, cute, she said, waving at people behind them. And Elvis, two people dressed as panda bears and a zookeeper followed by a person in a peacock costume, plumed with blue, purple and black feathers. Where's my nephew? Rivers with your parents? Tally asked. Yes, he's a dinosaur. They took him trick-or-treating with his cousins. He's so cute you'll die. I'll show you a million pictures later. Go, go, put the cake down, get some food, crush a cup of wine, enjoy the night, happy Halloween, find me later, Zora said, exclamation pointing at them. <laughs> Don't you want to go to that Halloween party? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and it goes on, like, it's one of the longest scenes in the novel, which is why I don't feel bad that I, like, read quite a lot of it there. But some of the antics that go on at this Halloween party with the detail of the costumes, oh, you just love mm. it. And yeah, the third sort of coziness that I wanted to just pick out is also a hallmark of Cross Smith's writing style. And I think the name that I'm going to call it is descriptive synesthesia, Mm. where one sense calls up an associated sense in her writing. Yeah. So in her other works, she's done it as just a kind of lyrical, poetic style. But in this novel, she makes it a part of Tally's character. So Tally actually has synesthesia, a condition for our listeners who don't know where senses blur and sights and sounds can conjure tastes and smells, or vice versa. So she prides herself on being able to read people's colours, which I Mm. guess is like their auras. Yeah. Like, this is a very Emily book. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, it just, it leads to some very dreamy writing moments. So there's one right near the beginning of the book where Emmett hasn't told her his name yet. She's referring to him as Bridge. She considered herself a decent judge of character when she trusted her instincts. She gave him a hard look to gauge his energy, tried to decide if he really had the face of a man who wanted to die. He had kind redwood brown eyes. Redwood called up cedar, her favourite smell. She'd bought Joel an expensive cedar-based cologne for their last anniversary. He wore it once and told her he didn't think he could wear it anymore because it got all over him. It was everywhere, he'd said, and she'd thought that's the point. She'd loved the day he smelled like it, when it was everywhere. She still had the bottle at home, a glass rectangle the colour of sunlit bourbon. She wished she could give it to Bridge, tell him the cedar scent matched his eyes. Maybe he'd understand what that meant. Maybe his senses infused one another too, leaked out, left stains. Like how the rain could make her go grey-blue, and how the grey-blue left her with a cloying taste of blueberries in her mouth. Mm, I love that. I know, it's so pretty. It like appeals to the poetry part of me. 
yeah just like (laughs) all your senses getting all mixed up in description but what I love about it and the way that I feel like it's relevant to like this feeling of coziness is that it brings you into Tally's character but it also mm-hmm. reads some really quite funny moments. So this is one of their early conversations when, like, the night that she takes him back from the bridge. They're making dinner. I'm a strange man in your kitchen and you want me to take the knife? He asked. He couldn't not ask. What was happening? I've been reading your vibes ever since I stopped my car and I can't convince myself completely that you have violent energy. I've been trying to feel it, but I can't. I tried to force myself to feel it, but I can't. You seem like a kitten to me, honestly, she said. Christine had told him that before. Not the kitten part. He wasn't sure how he felt about that. But she'd said he was a gentle spirit. And he'd assumed she was disappointed in him because of it. A dark macho signal he wasn't giving off, but should have. Like he was some sort of phenomenon the weather radar couldn't pick up, leaving her flummoxed. Remarks like that felt like criticisms coming from women, but Tally's hippie comment about vibes intrigued him. Reading my vibes, he asked. She pointed to the knife and he picked it up, began slicing the onion as she filled a big pot with water and salted it before going into the cabinet for a box of rigatoni. It's a gift I have. People with violent energy give off this kind of dark green smoke. It tastes bitter, I can tell. And your jacket, your backpack, they're dark green, but they don't match your energy. Your energy is like a lilac puff, she said, standing like a flamingo, leaning against the counter in her kitchen. And this energy radar is so strong, you feel comfortable giving a suicidal man a knife. Apparently so. They were quiet, looking at each other. His eyes began burning from the onions. She got a tea light from the drawer, lit it for him, put it down. A wide drawer full of tea lights and pens, pencils, a spool of gold thread with a needle poking from the top of it, a roll of masking tape, a tape measure, a deck of cards, a neat stack of bright post-its, her countertops pale bamboo. In the corner, up against the fog-coloured backsplash, a small crystal ball of change and a pair of yellow earrings, two closed safety pins. It's unscented, it'll help your eyes. Technically, we were supposed to light it before you started chopping, but what the hell, she said, and laughed. It definitely sets a mood, Emmett said. He glanced at the flame, kept chopping. I'll count it as a win. So, a lilac puff, he said, and nodded. No denying it, she said. What colour is your ex-husband's energy? Slut red. Slut red, he repeated. (laughs) (laughs) Which I just thought was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> and like I say, it is that, that feeling of like Halloween y, witchy, like hippie yeah. vibes. It's just such such a hug. <laughs> yeah, I know I know what you mean. Yeah. It's also quite nice seeing like it doesn't feel like she's making fun of her. Like and I feel like normally that kind of character would just be like the laughing stock character. But yeah. like I dunno. She's just written her like, yeah people are like this <laughs> yeah and she's like she's the main she's the main character yeah like, she's one of the two main characters and she's just like that yeah i love that and she's also like very educated and like has her own business and like mm-hmm. she's quite successful but she's also into vibes which i think is just a, <laughs> yeah. it's a nice juxtaposition you don't see it a lot but yeah obviously i've not really said anything about the plot of this book 
because it's hard to delve too deeply into either character without giving the plot away because the fact that they're both keeping so many secrets from one another is the like page turning aspect of the book but the like gorgeous cozy setting and the writing style is what always has me infatuated with cross smith's work and i think this will be a good one to come back to at halloween for like yeah a hot chocolate read (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) but yeah that's all i really got Nice, I loved that. <laughs> I could not stop laughing at the bit where it said Donnie Darko. <laughs> I was like, no way Emily would love this. And she like she references so many things in it as well. Like she references oh, what was it? Well, there was Psycho in that one as well, but I think there's like a few Stephen King references and like mm. I don't know, just general Emily shit. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is unreal. Yeah, that's funny. I feel like quite often our infatuations don't always cross over, but I feel like this episode we've both picked ones that the other would definitely like. Oh, so yeah. that's interesting. I know. I wanted to like I was like there's I've read a lot of books lately and I'm like I'm infatuated with them, but I wanted to bring you one that I was like no, but Emily would love the sound of this. I want to make sure that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Okay, so this season we have decided to combine our writing chats into one topic rather than each bringing in something different. So you're still going to get loads of writing chat, but this section is hopefully a bit more cohesive. (laughs) I think that's the plan. Yes. So today we're going to do something we've actually been meaning to do for ages, and that is to go through our notes app on our phones and... We're basically just going to read out those random notes that we've left ourselves about, you know, our novels and poems and ideas for new things and and all that. <laughs> so, who's going first? You you take the floor first. And okay. Then I'll come in later. Cool. So, I'm going to do a caveat, which is that a lot of my notes are just quotes from other things that I've like seen or heard and thought, that's cool, I'd like to use that like idea or maybe like that particular wording or something one day Mm. so like a lot of these aren't my own thoughts but I'll explain why I've written them down as we go sweet so my first one is actually from yesterday I was watching A Star is Born for the first time since like it came out in the cinema Mm. and I wrote down it's like not an actual sentence, but I wrote down twelve notes in an octave over and over again, the same story repeating, which is something that the main character's brother says. He's mm. like, "Oh, Jackson says a song is just the same twelve notes in an octave over and over again, like everyone's telling the same story over and over again." And I was like, "That's a cool idea." I wrote that down. Nay, <laughs> <laughs> because I like I for a future project I have a musician character and so I was like that might come back one day yeah oh I love that (laughs) a lot of mine are either full poems that I've just written in my notes app I like the amount of people that send me that meme that's like someone standing in the corner it's like they don't know why (laughs) it's like they don't know I just wrote a poem in my notes app so the most recent one that isn't that is I literally woke up with a sore throat. It's called I Woke Up With a Sore Throat. (laughs) (laughs) And it was from the 2nd of March. And I 
written underneath it, I think I swallowed too much air because I'd been up a hill the day before and like mm. panting. And then I've written underneath that, that sounds cool. <laughs> That's a cool <laughs> line. <laughs> so like this is this is the the genius behind what I write. Uh, another yeah. one I've just written, <laughs> oh Jesus, horses. <laughs> and then I've written <laughs> Sylvia Plath. And then I've written the start of a poem, which I've not finished yet, but it goes in another poem, better than this one and begrudged for it. Her ink plumed husband tells me Sylvia slipped from the saddle, but clung upside down to the horse's neck. Oh. Which I think is, I was reading some Ted Hughes poetry about Mm. Sylvia Plath. And I think he has one about this incident with a horse. And I have got that, and then I've got a photograph of a horse underneath it. Nice. That I took, randomly. (laughs) And I've not finished that either. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) What what else have you got? My next one is from the 14th of March. And I don't know where this thought came from. It's slightly ominous. I've written... (laughs) Saying I was with them is a way of saying you saw someone die while hiding the truth that you killed them. <laughs> Holy shit! Like... I don't know, man. <laughs> I, don't know. Uh, I also just have one that all it says, uh, this is from the 24th of February, is for Elisa. I don't know what that means. Huh. This is the thing about mine is that because I often just write down quotes... I forget the context of it's been a while and I'm like where what I don't know yeah these are ones I've just found ones from January and it's from a film and I can't remember the name of the film now but it's on Netflix <laughs> it's a western and it has Hayley Steinfeld in it oh um True Grit True Grit yeah um and I've written three favorite quotes from True Grit which is if you would like to sleep in a coffin it would be all right <laughs> <laughs> If they wanted a decent burial, they should have got themselves killed in summer. <laughs> and I do not care a thing about guns. If I did, I would have one that worked. Nice. Clearly, I just really enjoyed those quotes. Okay, I've got one from the 21st of February. And I don't think this is a quote. I think this is my own line. I've got, they meet in the bars and talk about art. And so art breeds. That's pretty. Thank you. I do have like a, <laughs> it's quite hard because also I'm writing a novel and I'm like trying not to give away what the plot of my novel is, mm. but like I I have a, a running point about how there's no like original story yeah. for anything. So that was that kind of idea. And then right under that one, I've got a, a quote from all the bright places but I don't know if it's the book or the film I think it's the film actually because I rewatched it and it's the problem with letting go is that you could fall and I just really liked that line so I saved that one I've got just clearly me having an absolute vomit of lines that I don't (laughs) know what to do with I think these are all mine but honestly they might be lines from other things but mm. one says, my heart is a bad dog. I think that, I think I heard that from somewhere else. I think someone else said, my heart is a bad dog. And then I've written, there's no such thing as a bad dog, only a bad owner. Ooh. 
which clearly I thought I was going to be profound and do something with, but never did. <laughs> and I've got stars burning in each other's orbit call themselves systems. Things in orbit never touch. They always slow down, cool down, spin away. A star cannot restart itself. Mm, I like that. This is just a random line. I've no idea what I was going to do with it, but it just says, Sky's high up and far away like some kid left the lid off. Oh. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember writing. <laughs> <laughs> have you got any other cryptic ones? Um, I have one that just says, Nostalgia, pain for going home. Mm. Which must, I feel like someone must have said that. I have one that says, when you say a dream out loud, it becomes undone. Oh. Again, I don't know if that was me or someone else. I should really, like, um, <laughs> you know, differentiate. I also, under that, in the same note, I have clearly just a random scene that I thought of, which is, I sat with my hands on the steering wheel, knuckles white, but then I glanced over at the winding roads I'd have to go down. Nope. And that was that. I got out of the car. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I've got good phrase, arboreal lighting. Ooh. And then underneath I've got, here's a couplet. (laughs) Literally it says, here's a couplet. And it says, (laughs) I'd trade this life of unspilled milk for a single kiss of unspilled silk. The ceiling and the story spun, but all was bound to come undone. Mm, Actually, that's quite good. Yeah. (laughs) I should do something with that. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot about half of these things. I know, it's funny going through these. I've also got one that just says, St. Cecilia is the patron saint of music. Oh, okay. So there you go, fun fact of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I have a quote from Leigh Bardugo about one of her characters in... Ninth House. I actually think I might have talked about this in a podcast, but it's Darlington is constantly at war with his need to romanticise everything. He wants a world of more magic, more beauty, more stories. And again, that just relates to a character that I'm writing. I have a note that says, an elixir that can give you inspiration, which I think is an idea for a kind of dark academia-ish novel that I have an idea for. Mm. Oh, I have like an actual line I've written. I wrote this on the 23rd of December, which is my dad's birthday. I pressed my knuckles to my temples, felt the blood pounding beneath them. My skull felt too small, like my brain was trying to push itself out and leap through the thinnest part of my bones. Alright, pal. I know, I don't know. You okay, hon? man. (laughs) I've got one here that's just, I clearly, I remember this actually, because (laughs) I knew that I wanted like a certain rhythm and I've got the line, and I delight in artifice, but dum de dum de dum. I've written the words dum de dum de dum because I'm like, <laughs> I know that that's how that goes, but I don't know what words go in there yet. I like the first line though. Aw, <laughs> yeah. Emily, birthday ideas. Oh, <laughs> just skip that. Okay, I've got a couple lines from, again, a future novel that I've sort of written a few scenes for. Mm. Well, they're quite long, but I'll just cut out ones that actually 
like I'll give you two lines that just sound good. Mm-hmm. So I've got, and I was holding her and she wasn't fragile like I thought. And Aww. then I've got, I fell into her like diving into the black lake and I don't remember drawing a breath once. I feel like those are all right. Those are really good. I like good. those. Thank you. God, most of my notes are ideas for TikToks. This is depressing. <laughs> most of mine are lists of like to do or goals. Yeah. I've got like possible Christmas gifts. Um, yeah. Like, things that I need to buy that I don't need but that I want. I have a list of all the paintings I still need to get an Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> got a random Lord quote that just is when you've outgrown a lover the whole world knows but you it's time to let go of this endless summer afternoon um and then mm. a rant about politics underneath it oh nice. which is seems unrelated yeah <laughs> but you know banner <laughs> i have one that's again for that kind of dark academia novel idea i have and it's like names for the characters mm-hmm. and then underneath it it's just play piano together kiss in a broom closet <laughs> that's just your life goals <laughs> okay i've got a few more that are a couple quotes from things this is a quote from chemical hearts uh, which is a film with austin abrams and lily reinhardt mm. and he says to her why do you kiss me like that like what like you're in love with me and she says, it's the only way I know how. <laughs> Which I just think so sad. And then I have quotes from Dash and Lily. Oh, Dash and Lily. I have... Yeah, this is from the 25th of November. I'm not really a guy that believes in things. And you've read so many books, but you're still hung up on fairy tales. <laughs> I've got <laughs> those two saved. I also have a line for my, again, a future novel which I don't want to say on here because I think it's too good and I don't want anyone to steal it. But can I just read it out to you? Yes. <laughs> so this would be the, the this is the first line for my novel, which is going to be about ghosts. Oh my God, that's so good. You're all not ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's, sick. that's so good. Thanks. I have one that's actually a, a tip for everyone. Okay. This is from the workshop I did with V.E. Schwab, where you like, she was talking about characters, and she says that you should make a mantra for your characters. So you have to decide what they fear, what they want, and what they're willing to do to get that. Mm. So I just have that like saved as a note to <laughs> remind myself when I'm writing characters. <laughs> things to tell you about when you stop being an arsehole <laughs> <laughs> when I clearly fallen out with someone <laughs> oh my god Taurus vibes <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one under that is I don't know again if this is a line that I've said or if someone else has said but I've got roll back the clocks take off your socks you're in wonderland now <laughs> Oh, that's cute. It is cute. If that's me, then I'm quite proud of that. I don't think I have anything else particularly share-worthy. Okay, I'm having a look. Oh, I've got a quote from Stuck in Love, which is like my favourite film. 
two characters are divorced and the like the ex-husband has just said to his ex-wife like oh I'm not a great writer but I'm a great rewriter mm. and he's like I wish we could do the marriage again because I do it so much better this time oh. um, which I just think is so heartbreaking but then she says to him you are a great writer don't waste all your imagination on me which is what I've written down oh <laughs> I love that film yeah same I think that might be all of mine possibly oh I have one was this me or is this a quote <laughs> I think this might be me. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. But it says, you're a constellation. You contain multitudes. I feel like you contain multitudes is a quote. Yeah, I, I don't know. But you are a constellation sounds new. If anyone mm. knows what that's from, <laughs> if it was Emily or if it wasn't, please let us know. Yeah, if we've accidentally stolen someone's work and said it was us, please tell us. The last one that I've got to read out, I've just, like, it was from, like, over a year ago, and I was confused trying to work out why I've written this down, but it was a news story that I saw, but this is my summary of a news story. This is how poets summarise the news. Okay. Whalepod died trying to follow sick matriarch. They all ended up stranded, except one, but he's alone now, and nobody knows him. Oh. <laughs> Clearly... That got to me. <laughs> I was. It's also been oh. written at like in the middle of the night, <laughs> so I was clearly really upset about this. Oh, poor whale. I have some. I have some Latin, which is definitely from a Shadowhunter book, uh, but I really liked it. I was just trying to work out how to write something where Latin is. <laughs> integral to my story uh, but it's mea culpa mea culpa mea maxima culpa which is my fault my fault my own grievous fault Aww. and I really like that quote I thought I had one more and I've lost it I do have a note which literally the only word in it is dinosaur don't know don't know I have a note that I've left for myself about um, the Song of Achilles. <laughs> what does it say? It says, So I just realised that when Achilles died, he would have been expecting to see Patroclus straight away, but Patroclus couldn't get to the afterlife yet, so Achilles would have spent who knows how long wandering about, thinking that he'd never be reunited with the person he died for. I'm so broken. <laughs> ended your life for like six weeks man genuinely uh, the thing is because i i want to reread it i have a there's a few reasons but one of them is like i want to reread it for like writing research because i like the actual the writing style mm. but i'm just like oh man that's gonna just ruin my life all over again <laughs> i think that may be all of mine i have just I'm gonna stop after this, but this is this is cute. This is from your birthday two years ago. Um, <laughs> right. And it's my to-do list of things that I obviously had to do that day anyway. And it's like mm. get ready for gym, go to gym, shower, watch the last tycoon for uni, do reading, <laughs> and then it's got in big capital letters, make Emily tea and give her the cupcake before you go to the gym. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh, I remember that. You did do that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was getting ready and you came in to my room. And I was like, here you go. <laughs> I love that I've clearly had to remind myself to do that, though, because I forget. I've got a history of forgetting Emily's birthday, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good times. Okay. I have one last thing to read out and it's not a well it is a quote it's a quote from my friend Hannah okay this is one of my favorite memories of Hannah so this is a a a direct quote from her is it Gareth Gates or Bill Gates that's the billionaire (laughs) (laughs) oh Hannah (laughs) so I wrote that down to remember clearly (laughs) that's amazing oh so that was fun I, did we learn anything from that i don't know i don't know maybe like it could give people an insight into the minds of writers so that's what we'll say yeah. to justify it <laughs> do you have a quick fire favorite this week i do so I actually had to go back and check if I'd mentioned this before, but I don't think I have. I think what I've maybe done is shouted it out on our Instagram right. or something. But basically, Dak Shepard has a podcast called Armchair Expert, but in that podcast, he has a bunch of like different series, and one of them is Armchair and Dangerous with David Farrier. And this is a podcast series about conspiracy theories, so... For anyone who doesn't know who David Farrier is, he's a really great journalist and documentary maker from New Zealand, and he has a documentary series on Netflix called Dark Tourist, uh, which I highly recommend. It's so good. And he's quite obsessed with the macabre, but also breaking down like why people are obsessed with the macabre and taboo subjects. So that's kind of what he's bringing to Dak Shepard, is like a conspiracy theory or like a taboo subject which he'll break down he normally interviews like one or two people before coming to Dax and then they all like discuss it where it came from why people are convinced it's real if it's like a conspiracy theory so they've tackled some pretty big conspiracies like the JFK assassination and 9-11 but I think my favorite episode of theirs so far might be their episodes on cannibalism so not a conspiracy theory but just like a taboo subject Mm. David interviews an actual cannibal he also talks to a biology expert and they look at cannibalism in other animals the effects of cannibalism on the human body there are certain tribes where cannibalism is like a ritualistic thing and they look at that as well they talk about mothers eating placentas and if you can call that a kind of cannibalism Uh, It was just really interesting and a topic that I've not thought that much about, like outside the world of like serial killers and like Mm. Jeffrey Dahmer. So yeah, I love Dax's podcast anyway, but Armchair and Dangerous with David Farrier, like those episodes are quickly becoming my favourite episodes. And the cannibalism is just a really great one to start with if you're wanting like a weird one, but that has just loads of facts that I did not know. I might listen to that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, no, it is. Like, I I suppose I hadn't really thought about it before, but, like, we are, apart from, like, those tribes and stuff that I mentioned, like, we're the only, like, animals that don't cannibalise ourselves. Like, every other creature does. Huh. 
<laughs> which I didn't realize but no, so they're like that. talking about that and like the kind of effects on the human body if you do eat a lot of um like human flesh because there are effects and it's not great so yeah it was just very interesting also just hearing from an actual cannibal and he's purely like yeah i did this and oh i tried it like i cooked it like it's like all this stuff like it's so like weird but it's really good i really recommend it okay (laughs) what is your quick fire favorite so i've done a cheeky like double hitter because (laughs) i feel like by the time that this comes out the fans will be unable to cope without knowing what my favourite vault song is from the new Fearless release by Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. So for everyone that is clamouring for this knowledge, <laughs> my favourites are Don't You and You All Over Me. Don't You is a very 80s love ballad with some like light synthy production. It sounds like With or Without You or like Every Breath You Take or true all like had a baby and taylor swift sang it it's so good and it's about running into someone who's moved on but like you're still in love with them it's Mm. very dramatic and you all over me is a big slow sad guitar-y classic country early taylor delicious lyrics about feeling ruined by a love (laughs) oh it's so good and i just thought i'd read my favorite lyric from that which is You find graffiti on the walls of old bathroom stalls. You know, you can scratch it right off. It's how it's used to be. But like the dollar in your pocket that's been spent and traded in, you can't change where it's been. Reminds me of me. Which I just... Fair play to 2008 (laughs) Taylor. What a good line. Loving it. I would love to engage with anyone who is enjoying the Fearless Vault songs. Please message me <laughs> and tell me your thoughts. Were they all ones like so? She did write those back then. They just weren't released. Is yeah, that... she wrote yeah. them back in the day, but they never got put on the album. Yeah, I see. And now they're being released because it's being re-released and re-recorded. Yeah, I've been having a good time. I've been having <laughs> a good old nostalgia trip. Yeah, and it's amazing because like they sound, they do sound like they belong on that album, so they sound mm. old. But they're new yeah. to me, which is delightful. So yeah, please engage with me if you have thoughts about any of the vault songs. I've not had nearly enough conversations about this to get out of my system. So <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an insight for us? Yeah, you normally go first for this bit. Oh do I? Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> If you got a root for us this week? I do have a root for you. I actually decided that my root for this week would be the tastiest word that I've read out from This Close to OK, which is easily crepuscular. Oh. Oh, so delicious. So this <laughs> is a word that Crossmith actually has a whole short story about in her collection, So We Can Glow. As, as she fucking should. <laughs> it means resembling or relating to twilight. And it comes mm. straight from the Latin crepusculum, meaning twilight. But what I find quite extraordinary about this route 
is that there has been a word for that for so long. Like, mm. th- it is such a hazy and indistinct concept, Twilight. So it seems mental that people have been referring to it in language since the beginning of language. Yeah. But it does make sense when you think about it because a lot of nature is crepuscular. So if you're describing an animal, crepuscular is one that becomes active at twilight. So Mm -hmm. deer, foxes, coyotes, lots of songbirds are all crepuscular and they've all fascinated humans for forever because of their calls or behaviours. They all seem a bit mythical, a wee bit magical. So I feel like it's appropriate that we've got like a cryptid ass word to go along with them. (laughs) Yeah. That's my route. Crepuscular. Nice. Say it. Say it to yourself, (laughs) crepuscular. It's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an insight for us? Yeah. (laughs) I have a quiz for us this week. I thought I'd take a little break from the, the coroner stories. So it's just a quick one that I found on the Penguin website, which has just slowly becoming my favourite place to find like random quizzes about books. Mm. And it's called, How Much of a Book Obsessive Are You? Okay. Um, so I've already taken it, but like I'll do the questions for you and then I'll reveal both of our answers. Cool. Let me just find it. Cool. So, question one. How would you describe your reading habits? One, I should probably read more, but I'd rather watch movies, paint, make music. Two, I love reading. Three, I always, always have my nose in a book. Four, habit, I can quit anytime. (laughs) Four. (laughs) Okay. Have you ever missed your train stop because you were reading? One, what, never. Two, once or twice, sure. Three, more often than I'd like to admit. Or four, happened yesterday. And come to think of it, the day before that. (laughs) Uh, Once or twice. Has a friend ever gotten cross with you for not listening to them because you were reading? (laughs) One, never. Two, yes, guilty. Three, one mate is still angry with me for the other day. Or four, sorry, I didn't hear the question. I was reading. (laughs) Uh, The the second one. Like, yeah. (laughs) Have you ever gotten food or drink stains on your books? Yes, all the time. Whatever whatever the most vehement answer is, then yes. Well, there's my books go ever go with me everywhere and take a dribble of mustard or a slush of tea every so often, or I often forget to eat meals when I'm immersed in a book. <laughs> no, I don't forget to eat, I just get food on them. Do you dream about books? One, my dreams aren't usually literary. Two, the occasional bit character pops up, sure. Three, whatever I'm reading at the moment is bound to inform my psyche. Or four, my dreams are books. <laughs> uh, whatever I'm reading at the moment is bound to inform my psyche. I'm very suggestible. <laughs> Have you ever experienced book withdrawal? One, what would that even be? Two, if I'm out of books, I can watch a documentary or play a video game. Three, I once ran out of books on holiday and started reading the room service menu. Or four, if I finish a book and there isn't another, I am rereading that book until I find another. Or until I die, I guess. (laughs) Uh, The holiday one, I relate. (laughs) I mean, we know the answer to this one. Do you tell others about the book you're reading? (laughs) One, if I like a book, I might tell someone about it. Two, soon as I finish, I want to discuss it. 
three, yeah, when I'm a chapter in, then when I'm halfway, and then again once I'm done. Or four, yes, I'm tweeting about this last incredible line now, but you could also just read my book blog. <laughs> Uh, somewhere between three and four. Uh, I guess probably, <laughs> probably four. I do live, like Instagram, but good lines quite a lot. Yeah. How many books do you read per month? So one, sometimes two, or that was sorry. Mm. Question answer one, one sometimes two. Uh, question two, two to four usually, three, four to one a week, or. Uh, four at least one a week but sometimes six seven or eight two to four i'm slow how important to you is book taste in a romantic partner one not really something i think about two i want to share my opinions with them but they don't have to love books too three i mean they need to have at least read the classics or four if we're not bonding over books what are we bonding over (laughs) oh that's a difficult one yeah because, like, can bond over other stuff, but it's a real good bonus. So mm-hmm. I'll go with I can share my opinions, but they don't have to love books, too. Yeah, I'm the same. As long as they listen to me and are, are humour the fact that I get obsessed, then that's fine. Yeah. Okay, you can only take either a book or your phone on your next train journey. You take one, phone, obviously, two, hmm, can I think about it more, three, a book, no question, or four, only one book? <laughs> well, my phone. Oh, I want book. Okay, so you are... You're a hobby reader and a mild obsessive. You always have a book on the go and you don't suffer fools who don't know their bovaries from their dalloways. Reading isn't just a hobby, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it that. Yeah. And mine was... <laughs> mine was your... Look, you're dangerously obsessed with books. Letters flow through your veins, you breathe punctuation, and, hey, are you listening? Put that book down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd say those are fairly accurate. Yeah. I've definitely (laughs) repeated entire stories to you when you've been (laughs) reading. question this week is from Narelle uh, who we went to uni with Hi Narelle! And she's asked what's your favourite classic novel? Mm. Who's gone first? I can go. Cool. Yeah you go. I like a lot but the first one that kind of came to my mind maybe just because I just reread it (laughs) is Great Expectations by Mm. Charles Dickens It's coming of age, it's gothic, there's like a mystery aspect to it it's also incredibly romantic but the actual love story is not a very nice one <laughs> i don't know how to explain that but i don't know it's just one of those books that like i first read it when i was probably about 16 and every time i've read it since then i've like understood the characters and the story more and more like i remember i hated estella when i first read it but now i see so much depth to her and i just want to give her a hug <laughs> And it also has my favourite line of anything ever, which is, you have been in every line I have ever read, which is just the best line. I love it so much. Yeah, that is pretty perfect. You can't really top that. Yeah. 
<laughs> what about you? So I've probably, I've definitely said this on here before, but if we're talking like back in the day classics, it's got to be the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde yeah, for me. I do love that. Oh, it's got everything. It's got vanity. It's got folly. It's got drugs. It's got nice <laughs> clothes. It's got everything. Yep. And it's gothic, which I love. But then I had put a little caveat saying if we were allowed modern classics, I would pick the bell jar. Yeah. So, because yeah. I don't, I don't really vibe with, like I like your kind of Victorian era stuff, but mm. it's not stuff that I would normally reread. Yeah. But I would reread sort of twentieth century classics. Fair. Okay, so that's us this week. If you have any comments or questions, then our email is infatuatedpodcast at outlook.com. We also have social media, which is linked in the show notes, along with everything we've talked about today, including the Infatuated Mix, which has all the music that we mention. Please talk to us. (laughs) Yes, please do. And please rate and review us on your podcast apps because that helps get the podcast out there. Yes, it does. I think that's us. I think it is. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Bye! Bye!